him at one of the gates where people walked in the temple, and he would just lay there, and he would beg. That's what he did. He, when he was asking for alms, he was asking for people to give him offering, and he would just lay there, and he would beg. This is literally how this man survived, was laying there and asking people to give donations to him. This is how he made it through life. And I imagine if you told him that morning, whenever they were getting him ready to take him and lay him at the beautiful gate, that that two men were going to come by today and they were going to stop and they were going to speak to him and they were going to offer him something. They were going to give him something that was going to change him forever. That he might have taken an extra bag with him, expecting to need to carry that much money home with him. Because this is what the man looked for daily. He laid there, and we even see in verse 5 that whenever they tell him to look at them, that his expectation is that they are going to give him something. And verse 6 makes it clear that he was expecting that they were going to give him money. Because Peter begins by saying, I don't have silver or gold. So on this day, this man does receive something that completely changes his life. But what we see is that what he really thought he needed was not, in fact, what he really needed. He needed something completely different, and Peter and John knew it. So Peter looks at him and says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. So Peter, he doesn't have any money. He doesn't have some other thing, some other valuable monetary possession, but what he does have is something that's infinitely more valuable than silver or gold. And it's not just allowing this man to be healed. As you'll see in just a minute, what Peter does not have is the ability on his own to heal this man. Peter doesn't have that ability. Peter's going to make that clear. So what is it that Peter does have? What we see in this text is that in some way that is not spelled out for us in Acts chapter, in some way Peter points this man to Christ. Peter says, what I do have, I give to you. And we're going to be told in verse 16 that why this man is healed is because of faith in Jesus Christ. So exactly how that plays out, I don't know, but I can tell you this. What Peter gave this man was what he needed more than anything else. And it's what you needed more than anything else. And it's what I needed more than anything else. What every person that's ever lived on this earth needed more than anything else. And it's Jesus Christ. Point one this morning, Peter gave the man what he needed, but not what he thought he needed. See, Peter speaks to this man, and he's going to give him something, but it's not silver or gold. He does receive healing of his legs, and I would imagine that this man probably would have thought that above everything else, that that was what he really needed. But in my mind, this miraculous healing parallels Mark chapter 2. And you don't have to turn there, but I I would ask you to go and read that later today. If you look at the follow-up questions after the sermon, you'll see Mark chapter 2 marked on there. Because in Mark chapter 2, there's another lame man, right, who has to be carried by some friends. And it's the story where they tear the roof away and they lower this man before Jesus. And Jesus gives that man what he needs more than anything else. But initially, it's not the healing of his legs, right? Jesus looks at that lame man and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Because what even a lame man needs more than his legs to be healed is to be forgiven of his sins. 
to be given eternal life. And when this man on this day has faith in Jesus Christ, what I understand is that he received both. Both his legs were healed and his sins were forgiven. So Peter comes to this man who thinks what he needs more than anything else is gold, or maybe possibly if there was some miraculous way his legs to be healed. But what he really needed more than anything else was to be forgiven of his sins. So we see this, right? We see what the people can see on the outside, and that's this man's legs being healed, and they're healed so completely that a man that could never walk before leaps. Right, He's leaping and walking into the temple. And so everybody gathers around because every day when they're going to the temple, they walked by this man. They knew him because most of them probably tried to turn their heads or look the other way or not focus on him so they wouldn't feel bad when they went into the temple. So when they see that man running and leaping, something's going on. Right, So everybody gathers and everybody's amazed at what's taking place. And Peter sees in this a great opportunity to show us that there's more going on here than just a man healing another man. On the surface, that's what it looks like. Peter healed this man. But Peter makes clear that that's not what happens. Look with me in the text again, back in verse 11. We'll pick up there. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel... Why do you wonder, wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? So Peter, as he's taking the opportunity to point them to Christ, the first thing he has to do is make sure and not point to himself, right? Peter says, hey, stop for a moment. This is not something that I have done. Apparently all these people are staring at Peter and John in amazement at what Peter and John have done. And Peter says, no, 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 don't stare at us. As though we've done this by our own power. No, this is not us. And so then he points them to Christ. And I love the way that he does this. What Peter's about to do in verses 13 through 16 is he's going to draw this stark contrast between how these Jewish people that he's talking to, between how they looked at Christ and how they should have been looking at Christ. And so he uses this to show them their fault and what they need to change. So look in verse 13. He said, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So here we see this stark contrast. He tells them, this is what you think about Jesus. This is how you have treated Jesus. And so he points out that, that at one point, Pilate, if you remember... Uh, whenever they were trying Jesus, Pilate thinks that Jesus should be released. He can't see any reason Jesus to be crucified. And so he brings Barabbas and says, I will release one of these men to you. Barabbas, the murderer, the insurrectionist, or Jesus. You can have one of these two. One of these two will be set free. And the people said, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And so that's what Peter's talking about here. He's talking to a bunch of Jewish people that are in Jerusalem about 50 days after that took place. 
And so they would have remembered this. They would have remembered it well. And he says, you denied Jesus. And I think he's talking about more here than just that denial, right? They did deny Jesus being set free. But I think whenever he says, you denied the holy and righteous one, he's saying that they denied who Jesus said he was. That they did not believe, that they did not have faith. That when Jesus said that he was the Son of Man, that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, that they denied that in their hearts, that they did not believe that. And we see, how do I know that these people denied that Jesus was God? Because they asked for him to be crucified. And as Peter says here, killed the author of life. So this is how these people look at Jesus. As less uh, as less caring, or they cared for him less, than a murderer. As somebody that they wanted killed more than anybody else. As somebody that they could have cared for less, they could not have cared for less. And so how should they, how should they have looked at him? How did God look at Christ? Well, he shows us that in verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. And now whenever it says there his servant, it's not a derogatory term. I know it sounds to us like a derogatory term, but I believe for these people, Peter uses it because it would have recalled to them Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, right? The one that came and he took the penalty that we deserve so that we could be set free. What he was doing here was reminding them that Christ is the Messiah. But I want you to hear this for a moment. Even if you haven't been listening, listen to this. Put your phone up for just a moment. When, when Peter says to a bunch of first century Jewish people at the temple, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, he would have gotten everybody's attention. Because this is the covenant promise name of God. This is what they have called God the Father since the burning bush. Right? God says to uh, Moses there, this is what you can tell the people, this is the God that talked to you. And so this is the promise name, the covenant name. And when you say God the Father, the God of our fathers, has glorified somebody else... I cannot oversell to you how big of a deal that would be for first century Jews. For you to tell them the God most high, the God above everything else, glorified, right, honored, exalted, lifted up, showed the worthiness of somebody other than himself, you would get their attention. Because they recognize that there is no one more worthy than God. And so when you say that he glorified somebody else, you would have caught their attention. And he says here that God the Father glorified Jesus Christ. Why in the world would God glorify anybody other than himself? Only if that person were God. And that's the truth that we see here. Point two, they denied Christ, but God affirmed and glorified Christ. So they deny Christ. They say, we don't believe that he's the Holy One. We don't believe that he's the Righteous One. We don't believe that he's God. But God showed himself that he is God. We've already seen that. If you go back in Acts chapter 2, he showed us 
uh, through uh, several Old Testament passages how God glorified Christ, right? That He resurrected Him from the dead, that He has ascended Him to heaven, that He has placed Him at the right hand of the throne. So God has glorified Christ. God has made clear that Jesus is God. And so these people, probably awestruck by this, And this miracle that they've just seen once again affirms this because that's what Peter points them to in verse 16. He says, in his name, right? Talking about Jesus' name. In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So he says, how can you know that Jesus is God? For these people that are standing here on this day, how can they know that Jesus is God? Because believing in Jesus just made this man who has been lame for his entire life well. This man whose legs have never worked now work. And the only thing that changed from earlier that day when they didn't work to now when they do work is that he believed in Jesus. And now, brothers and sisters, you can believe in a lot of things. You can believe in me You can believe in yourself. There are books about how to believe in yourself more than you currently believe in yourself. But here's the truth. When you believe in me and when you believe in yourself and when you believe in a bunch of other worldly things, very little changes. But when you believe in Christ, everything changes. And this miracle on this day is proof of that fact. He says, how can you know that Jesus is different than the rest of us? Because this man believed in Jesus and he can now walk. So we see on the outside this miracle. This miracle, right, there's also a miracle taking place inside of him. The same miracle that's taking place inside of all of us that have faith in Christ. We've been forgiven of our sins. We've been adopted into God's family. We've been given eternal life. But you can't see that. But for these people on this day, they could see On the outside, this man's legs made well. So the last thing we need to see, how do you respond to that? God makes clear that Jesus is God, that he is the holy and righteous one. How do you respond to that, Jit? Look with me in verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you From your wickedness. Now I know that's a lot of text. And there are a lot of words there. But what does Peter finish by doing here? He calls them to respond to this truth. He says every one of you that are listening to me. Listen to this. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one that all of the prophets. Going all the way back to Samuel. Have talked about. 
He says, Jesus is the one that every one of you will either listen to and be saved from your wickedness or will reject and will be destroyed because of it. Jesus is the one that is in heaven and will be there until he returns to judge all people. Peter makes all of this clear. And so how does he call them to respond? How this morning do I call you to respond to the truth that Jesus is God? He says, repent and turn to the Lord. Right? Repent and believe. Repent and have faith. In order that times of that you may receive times of refreshing, that you could be saved from being destroyed, and that you could be turned from your wickedness. Now, why is all of this important? Because what we see here, the last point for this morning, point three, is that through Jesus, we can be made whole. You see, in this sermon, we see a man who was not made whole physically, being made whole because he believed in Jesus, right? This man whose legs did not work, we see them fixed because he has faith in Jesus. And I believe that what we see there again is a physical picture of what happened spiritually for that man and what can happen spiritually for us. Because this man, I believe if you would ask him on that morning, Sir, are you whole? Does your body work the way that a healthy body is intended to work? He would have said no. Right? A healthy body is intended to be able to get up and walk, and I can't do that. And here's what we have to grasp. I want you to hear this. I know I've said a lot of words, but I really want you to hear this. One thing that we have to grasp in order to be saved is that, brothers and sisters, on our own, we are not whole. We are not healthy. Spiritually, we are like this man. There is something that is not the way that it was intended to be. Because of sin in our lives, we were not, those of us that are Christians, we were not who we should be. And if you're still lost, if you're not a Christian, if you don't have faith in Jesus now, because of sin, you're not who you should be. You're not who you were originally intended to be. Whenever you find yourself over and over sinning and doing things that you don't even want to do, that wreck your life and that hurt the people around you, And when you go around and think, why am I so angry all the time? Why am I so stressed all the time? And why am I so jealous of everything that everybody else has? It's because sin has changed who you're supposed to be. We're all marred by sin. We're all changed by sin. We're all, before Christ, slaves to sin. We have to follow sin. And it changes everything about our life. But just like this man... There is one thing that can change all of that, and it's faith in Jesus Christ. When he had faith in Christ, his legs were made well. And brothers and sisters, when you have faith in Christ, sin loses its power. You're no longer a slave to sin. You can tell sin no now. And you can know through the Holy Spirit, peace and joy. Right? You can know what it's like to live a full and happy life. Life, You can know what it's like to have purpose in life, to not just walk around all the time feeling like you're empty. You can know what it's like to have hope that today's going to be good and tomorrow is going to be okay and past that it's going to be even better because eternal life is coming when Christ returns or when we go to see Him. You can have assurance that everything is okay, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. So how do we respond? We repent. And we believe. I want to ask you to stand this morning. And we're going to have a time of response.
We're going to sing, do what? I surrender all. We're going to sing, I surrender all. And if you've never done that, this is a really good opportunity for you to do that. To give up who you are and recognize that Christ is who you need. But maybe you're here this morning and you've already done that before. And you don't need to respond by having faith for the first time. But brothers and sisters, maybe you realize this morning that you've been living for a lot of other things other than Christ. You've been pursuing a lot of things and putting all your time and attention toward things that are not Christ. This morning, repent. Turn back to the Lord. Ask Him for forgiveness. Ask Him to help you to love Him more than anything else. But you respond by praying or coming, and I'll pray with you. But you respond how you feel that you need to. As Brother Shane leads us in him of invitation. be seated. Brother Grant's going to come and share a few announcements with us. While he's coming, one that I forgot to mention him, if you look on the back of your bulletins, he's about to tell you in just a moment about Sunday school starting back next week. But on the back of the bulletins, you have a copy there uh, of the list that shows what teachers are teaching what classes. So if you have questions about that, if you are interested in coming to Sunday school and haven't before and you'd like to know what classes you might go to, it has the list of the classes, has their names, as well as the teachers. If you have questions about that, you can see myself or Brother Randall uh, that's at the back left of the sanctuary. He's our Sunday school director. Or you can call the office any day this week, and we would love to give you more details about that. Brother Grant? Awesome. Awesome. So he stole my thunder on one announcement. That's cool, though. Whatever. Uh, Next Sunday, May 2nd, uh, Sunday school is back, and we're super excited about that here. I know we've been missing that, that level of community. And if you haven't been plugged into a Sunday school uh, class, we encourage you to. It's a great time where you can actually be seen. You know, it's really easy on a Sunday morning to come in, uh, listen and sing, and then leave and uh, not really have any kind of like deep and meaningful conversations. Sunday school is where those deep and meaningful conversations.